You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. What is up? Welcome to Bick and the Boss here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen here on a smoky Friday, C-Mac. On a Friday the 13th, no less. It is uh, feeling very ominous today. Yeah, you, you could definitely taste the smoke. You know yeah. what I mean by that? Like it, 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 not only do you smell it, you almost taste it in your mouth. It, it, we haven't seen this in a few years, but yeah, not not good at all for the air quality. I feel bad for those people who are, you know, have asthma or have other breathing issues. Mm-hmm. No, I'm uh, all I, I'm shut in today. All the windows are closed. I'm not broadcasting on the balcony. You're in studio today, so that's great. Uh, I, I'm still remaining at home in uh, my my friendly confines of Coquitlam. Uh, but yeah, I uh, hope everyone's uh, staying safe. Uh, you know, the, you, you slowly see it, uh, you know, seep into the region, the lower mainland here. Uh, I think it was a little bit in, in the valley yesterday, but it's it's much much worse today. Uh, so hopefully everyone's uh, staying safe uh, on this Friday. Uh, Bick and the Boss brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Does your team need reliable construction equipment? Save thousands on Kubota excavators, skid steers, and loaders. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. It's a, a pretty packed show today. Jeannie Bouchard is going to join us in about uh, seven minutes talking about uh, the National Bank Open, her recovery from her own injury. Uh, she's uh, doing some work with the Tennis Channel right now. Uh, and also, uh, we're going to talk to Paul Gallant from 710 E, uh, ESPN in Seattle and uh, Emery Hunt and also Joe Leary and Scott Brown. But plenty happening uh, because it, it's uh, a, a wild game last night with the, the Field of Dream stuff. And uh, just today and just minutes ago, uh, the Vancouver Canucks have released their uh, official schedule, start times and everything, CMAC. And uh, people are already plotting out. Uh, what games they're going to be checking out and which games to be mad at, like the uh, Toronto 4 o'clock start time. <laughs> yeah, that that's a given now, isn't it, though? But, yeah, people are now eyeballing some things. And, listen, when the, the schedule came out before, you know, how many Canuck fans, I'm not sure you can get tickets, but you look at that first game in Seattle at the end of the first road trip for the Canucks, and then I believe there's a Monday nighter. Uh, in Seattle that weekend as well. So how many Canuck fans are going, hmm, Saturday night hockey, little Sunday day drinking and watching football, and then let's cap it off with a Monday nighter. It would be a nice uh, trip down there, assuming the border is obviously open. So hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of those things, you you look at the schedule, doesn't seem to be huge surprises here with the, with the times that are set, but uh, people now can, yes, book their, uh, their Leafs after party with the 4 o'clock start here. No, well, that's the good though. thing. Like, but but that's the thing. Like, know. you know, people can you know start their evening by watching, and then at seven o'clock or whatever it is when the game is you know done and dusted, you, your your night's just started. You go for a nice dinner, go to the club. You kids, like you, Vic, you could go to the club. But yeah, there, there's yes. lots to do. Me and the discotheque. That's what we do. <laughs> well, it's certainly not. I, I'm definitely not old guy at club. I can tell you that yeah. right now. You'll soon be able to uh, bet on the game and then spend your winnings at the casino after yeah. the game. It's perfect. For sure. See Mac there with the you know open shirt and the gold change and you know oh yeah in the uh, Dracar Noir. The eyebrows. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 There. There it is. Greg Ballack chiming in there with the gambling aspect, and that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's going to open up a whole new world. Uh, I realize 
the taps won't just turn right on right away later this month. But yeah, that, that'll mm-hmm. be an interesting thing that people, yeah, that four o'clock Leafs game, you can bet on the late one, you know, have a, have a good time with your, with your buds. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things, Bick, where now that we have the times, we can all set our schedules and get our social calendars filled up. I, I'm a bit mad because there's no home uh, early afternoon or morning games. Cause I got to tell you the spread for the, uh, the brunch games is unbelievable at Rogers Arena, and and for another year, we're gonna have to go out w- w- with no waffles or anything like that. <laughs> Look it's at you, just brutal. worried about yourself, huh? You, you can still go for brunch before you come into the rink. It's it's not the same. Like watching a warm up and, and and having a pancake is it's unrivaled. All right, I'll 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 give you that one. That 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 you you can score that one. That that is true. Uh, Vic Nazar and Craig McEwen. Uh, so, yeah, a couple of Canucks notes that have happened uh, throughout the day. Uh, so, obviously, the, the schedule comes out. Uh, and also, they, the Abbotsford Canucks uh, signing an AHL contract to a Vancouver Giant for Tristan Nielsen. Uh, you know, a, a thing that we don't see enough of uh, when it comes to uh, the Vancouver Canucks signing uh, people in their own backyard. Not just, hey, within the province, but specifically with the Vancouver Giants. So, uh, Tristan Nilsson uh, going to be joining the the Abbotsford Canucks. Yeah, you 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 think about how long the Giants have been around, and there really hasn't been that giant joining the Canucks. I mean, people were hoping for Bowen Byram. It didn't go that way for Vancouver, but nice to see the AHL team tapping into you know a player who's had an impact with the Giants is you know obviously known out in the Valley as well, and and smart move by the hockey club. Listen. He's going to have to be able to prove himself. He's going to be able to play. But the idea that if it's a choice between one or the other and, and you can get a, a former giant, that's a real great idea when it comes to what uh, the Abbotsford Canucks are trying to put together. And a, a cool player, just a real energetic, uh, just tenacious. I, I'm going to put this out there right now if you want to, if you want to label him. He, he's going to be the AHL Matt Highmore. Right? Okay. I was a big fan of what Matt, High, what Matt Highmore brought for the, uh, for the big club last year. Uh, for for the here and now, a, a young Matt Highmore is what I'm hoping for Tristan Nilsson. We'll see uh, how that develops uh, for his AHL career. Uh, but last night, uh, I, I was all in. I, I told you already I was going to be doing it uh, to watch that Field of Dreams game. I was all in on it. And not only did it you know, meet a baseline, but it matched the potential of what you wanted to see. That was incredible theater from beginning to end. And I was a little bit worried about the execution of it all, but they were flawless yesterday. Uh, okay, I, I'm going to debate you on the flawless. I, I am right with you with the nostalgia. I love the venue, the drama, the way it all ended. But uh, I, I thought Kevin Costner's um, Stop. Look, walking around the field was excessive. He didn't have to be out there for five minutes himself. Is that just the big movie guy in him saying, listen, I'm not doing this unless I get the five-minute spotlight to my own? Get the players coming through the corn earlier. Kevin Costner walking around. Come on. He needs a screen time. But look, if, if that's your biggest complaint of the evening, that's – it was what thirty seconds too long, fifteen seconds too long. It's no big deal. All right, I'm nitpicking fine. a bit, but I, I did. You know when um the you you watch something and it just flies by and you can't believe I've just spent two hours watching that movie. That to me sure. that part that part did drag a bit. But as soon as the players started walking through the corn, oh, it would yeah you 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 had me right there. 
sure there's people doing that uh, right now. They're like, every day, one to three. Time just flies by. I can't believe it. Uh, you know, when they tune into us. Uh, but, you know, it, like, I, I felt like they hit every note. Like, even the, the, the broadcasters wearing you know, old-timey yeah. gear and the, the scorekeepers themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fence. The fence, you could see the corn through it. I know we talked about that yesterday about the chain link, but just to be able yeah. to see and how it was raised up. Oh, it, they hit every note there. And what was interesting, Bick, is – when was the last time you watched a ball game where they had so many cutaways that were just kind of high drone shots or, or cabled mm-hmm. camera shots of what was going on all around it? The people walking through the corn maze to go to the original Field of Dreams, the house sitting there, the sunset on, on what is it called? The plains? Uh, I guess it's not the prairies down there. It's the plains mm-hmm. of, of the Midwest. Oh, so powerful, so impactful. It, it, was, it was great. And the ball game itself was, was awesome, too. Uh, we'll get into more of it because uh, it is uh, going to be my don't at me again uh, today. But joining us now uh, from the Tennis Channel and, and soon to be on Sportsnet and, of course, on the w- WTA Tour, Jeannie Bouchard joining us. Uh, thanks a lot for giving us some time here. Uh, I know it's a busy day, but uh, first things first, Jeannie, uh, how's the shoulder? Yeah, hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Uh, shoulder is doing well. I'm in the stage of rehab right now. It's been two and a half months since I had the surgery. So I am just doing rehab every single day uh, before going into doing my broadcasting. And um, hopefully I'll get on the court soon. Yeah. And, and how is the broadcasting going? I mean, I, I, I know it's not tennis, but there there is a bit of a rush and there's a bit of performance and maybe a little anxiety. I don't know how you're feeling about it, but how has that been going? You've been doing a great job and, and really enjoying the content that you've been providing. Oh, totally. I mean, I was very nervous at the beginning for my first day, first couple of days. And I think uh, I've improved since the begin- since my first day a week and a half ago till yesterday, my last day at Tennis Channel or two days ago. It's it's interesting because when you're about to go live, I do get that rush of adrenaline. And while it's not the same as walking onto a tennis court in this moment where I'm not able to be on the court, it does kind of provide that. Um, so I've actually liked it more than I expected, but it's also more work than I expected. Uh, at least you had a nice warm up with it with uh, Kess's house, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but that was totally different. I mean, that was just drinking games and like fun. So honestly, that that was nothing to prepare me for. You this. mean there's no <laughs> drinking in broadcast? I got to put away my yeah. my wine bottle here at the. At the uh, yeah. Okay. I got Not it. Uh, that people know of, I guess. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> undercover. Uh, so get into the National Bank Open. Uh, you know, it was unfortunate yesterday. Bianca goes out, and and we, we you know, it, it, the story of her last couple of years has been you know being injured, and and we see a moment yesterday as well toughing through it but it just you know how challenging is that in in this uh venue not just it being you know Montreal and Toronto but you know trying to always come back from injuries you've obviously dealt with some yourself how to generate momentum in the in, in the space in the scope of a calendar in for this uh for the sport it's hard. I myself am a player who really likes a lot of matches. So when I don't play matches, when I get to my first one, I feel so out of it. And I feel match rusty, we call it not match tough. And uh, I feel like I'm playing my best when I'm playing a lot. So personally, it's always been tough for me whenever I've taken time off. And uh, Bianca has definitely really not played a lot of matches in the past couple of years. And so that's it's hard to, to deal with. I mean, she she has the game and she has the talent, but then you get on the court in a match situation in a in a tough 
you know, it's a, the, cl- the score is close, it's 30 all, and then you like make a mistake that you wouldn't normally make because you just don't have that like repetition of having to play under pressure. Eugenie Bouchard joining us here on Bick and the Boss and Sportsnet 650. And and I, I don't think people probably realize how demanding the sport is. You you watch from television and, you know, the rallies look great and you're moving around, but those stops and starts and, and all that sort of stuff, it is extremely tough on the body, isn't it, when, when you're doing that day in, day out? Totally. We destroy our bodies. That's how I call it. It's like this 15-year period of my life where I just accept that I'm going to destroy my body, especially on hard court. It's so tough on the joints. You saw Bianca last night actually sliding on hard court, which is something I don't do because of the risk of injury, and it kind of affected her last night. But it's uh, it's pounding, and you guys, you, you see the matches, but you don't see the training, and the, and the matches are only 5% of what we do. We are on the court hour, like four hours every day, in the gym another couple hours, day in, day out, one day off a week, and so just that that amount of repetition uh, on your joints, is it just causes a lot of wear and tear, so it's just the con to doing what we love and living this unique life, but uh, there's definitely that downside. What have you liked uh, from the tournament so far uh, in Montreal? Well, I've enjoyed watching. I've, so I've been you know, talking about both the men and the women over at Tennis Channel and just ca- uh, watching the matches all day long. And it's funny, and it's something I said when I was over there. I was like, I've watched more tennis in the past 10 days than I've watched in my entire life combined i just wake up and start watching the matches and catch up on matches i missed and make sure i watch highlights of every single match and full matches of as many of them as i can to to do my job properly right that's part of the studying and preparing and it's like i should do this when i'm playing because now i know all the players so well and i know their games and i know every detail about their life basically and so it's like hey next time i'm on the court I feel like I have an advantage, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say that. It, hockey teams, football teams, basically, they do these pre-scouts where they show the power player. They show what plays they're running in football. Uh, I was going to ask you that. It, it, it could be an advantage for you to take this time away. You're learning things, I'm guessing, too, about yourself and your game and, and what maybe you need to work on as well. Totally, totally. Watching, I see, you know, what players are doing well or not well. I'm learning all the time as I'm watching all these other players. And it just made me realize that I feel like tennis is just one of the sports where we do video the least. Like you mentioned, football, hockey, they they're, have actual meetings where they just go in and watch film. And we do that less in tennis. And it's something I've started to do more. But now after this experience, I think is even more important because you can just learn so much. You know, how much growth have you seen just in Canadian tennis? Because, you know, 2012, you have the Wimbledon's title. 2014, uh, you make a big run. And as this starts to spiral and we're actually, you know, right right here, we're coming off the Olympics and people are are feeling so great to support Canadian sports. You know, what have you noticed and, and what do you see the future is here? I I love what I've seen over the past years with tennis in Canada because when I was younger, the infrastructure was not there as much. There were less coaches, less players, and that's why I moved to Florida when I was 12, also to be able to play outside all year round. But, you know, it wasn't to have a real chance to do this. I had to actually get out of Canada. And nowadays we have our national training centers. We have, um, you know, elite coaches who've coached the best in the world and so many more players playing picking up the sport kids picking up the sport and and training and trying to like achieve what a lot of us have now achieved and it's great to hear it's it's an honor to know if you're just a small part of that kind of surge in in tennis it's uh it's really humbling and it's nice I mean I hear so many stories of coaches like 
old coaches letting me know that their summer camps are sold out in January and that they can only start in July. And I'm like, wow, this didn't used to be like this. Yeah. And you mentioned how humbling that is. Is it still a bit surreal when people say, Hey, I want to be like you, the old see me, be me. And, and you see young girls on the court aspiring to, to do what you have done. Totally. That never gets old for me. If someone stops me on the street and asks me for a picture, I'm still like amazed that, they care enough to want to take 10 seconds out of their life to ask me for a picture. Um, it's something you never get used to in my experience because it's, um, it's just so it's, it's just like, wow, you, you know, if you're a fan or you want to play or, you know, someone who likes me or you have a kid that plays now because of me, like all those stories I love to hear, it never gets old and it's still really special to me. Uh, Eugenie Bouchard joining us here. She'll be on the Sportsnet broadcast this weekend for the uh, semis and finals for uh, and tonight the... and tonight. Hey, sorry, and tonight. Yes, yeah, sorry uh, for the uh, uh, Toronto and uh, Montreal National Bank Open. So, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Prediction time. Uh, who's lifting the trophy in in both Toronto and Montreal? Okay. Wow, that is really on the spot. Um, I love Medvedev for the men. He mm-hmm. plays great on hard court. He obviously has played well, made those runs at the U.S. Open. I think uh, when he puts his mind to it, he he's a great player. The women's side is always a little more unpredictable, I would say. However, I did make a pick uh, tennis channel for the U.S. Open, and I picked Sabalenka. And she's because I had to pick someone who's not in the top five contenders to win the U.S. Open, and I picked her. And she's obviously the first seed here in Montreal, and has been playing well. And I know she's the first seed, but she's kind of my pick. <laughs> there we go. Uh, it is uh, Eugenie Bouchard again today at 4 o'clock Pacific. Uh, you'll be part of the broadcast and all weekend long. Thanks a lot for giving us some time. I know you're busy, so we'll let you go here. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Tune in later. uh, Yeah, for sure. It is uh, Eugenie Bouchard, uh, who's going to be joining the Sportsnet team, part of the uh, live national coverage of the National Bank Open Championship uh, all weekend long. Sportsnet, Sportsnet 1, and Sportsnet Now. You can also go to sportsnet.ca slash schedule for all the details. Uh, She's going to be taking her job soon, C-Mac. Well, I tell you, yes. Does she want to work radio in Vancouver? You're you're out, buddy. You are out. uh, Bick and Jeannie. No. (laughs) The boss and Jeannie. No. Yeah. Yeah, no. Awesome. And, you know, it's funny how she equated a little bit of the nerves or the excitement and the adrenaline. Because there is an adrenaline rush to doing this. Not the same, I'm sure, as being on center court at Wimbledon. But, at the same token, nice to hear her kind of equate at least what we do a little bit to what her world is like. And uh, hopefully we uh, see her back on the court soon enough as well. Uh, it is 120, Bick and the Boss. We do it every day. Your uh, your text got to come in as well. 650-650 for don't at me. 650-650, send in your takes. Already a bunch flooding in. Uh, Minor Matt sending in uh, a, a YouTube link as well. So he's going multimedia for his don't at me. Uh, I'll see if we next can level. that one off. That is next yeah. level. Uh, but Mike, don't at me. The, the the sporting event of the year was last night. Don't at me with the Field of Dreams. Uh, it's well, it's not the Super Bowl, but I guess that would be next year. So yeah, yeah, you know, maybe you're yeah. right. Maybe you're right. That that it was good. And and this in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty. Don't at me, Craig. Your age is showing if you're bitter about that game. It was awesome. I wasn't bitter about the game. I just thought it was a little excessive with Kevin Costner time. I feel like you bought tickets to Waterworld, 
I've been I've been wanting to get my money back for years yeah. and, and rip into Costner. Yeah, so you just been like, you know what? It was it wasn't a good movie then. I'm still sour about it. How about this and, Fox? And, and, and I forever. Yeah, how about Sorry, this Fox? Um, you know, interviewing people during the game and and the mentions about Costner. Everyone name dropping. I wanted to meet Costner. I wanted to meet Costner. Of course you did, but he didn't have to be out there that long. Did he stick around for the game? Yeah, I saw some cutaways of him sitting there okay. and and watching. Yeah. yeah, he did. I'm not sure he didn't fall asleep behind those shades, but yeah, no, he was there. He was in the booth later in the game too. They had him up on the broadcast. Yeah, I, I was kind of watching a bit on mute during the uh, the people show as well, so maybe I missed him. But yeah, that's uh, it's good to see. Uh, don't at me. Uh, this one, uh, <laughs> Adam, the former bath guy. Don't at me. A perfect sponsor for the Abbey Canucks would be Castle Fun Park, and they offer uh, free tickets for a hole in one at mini golf. Be giving away a lot of free tickets then. They would. Be. I, I I actually haven't done the Castle Fun Park in a long time, um, so I can't remember how challenging it is to get a hole in one. Yeah, it, it's been years since I did that, but drive by it a lot. But uh, I, I'm not so sure uh, it, it so, is that hard to get a hole in one there. Me and my buddies, what we used to do. Yeah, uh, this is going back like 17 years, 15 years, somewhere around there. We used to drive out there and play all 54 holes. And the winner, uh, or the other guys would have to buy the other guy dinner. Okay. Yeah. I just, can see just, that. just make it a whole day. And it, it gets pretty competitive. It's pretty competitive. <laughs> this one from Brian Don't at me, Waterworld is freaking amazing. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Although the, the, wa- the Waterworld ride, or is that Universal uh, Florida, or the, 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 they do a big um, kind of show, a Waterworld? That was not bad, but I didn't like the movie at all. Not, not at all. It was a great idea, poor execution, and uh, it's it's the like quote unquote box office uh, flop. Yeah, that or and I'm older than you, but Ishtar, Ishtar was another couple hours I'll never get back. I don't, I don't remember that one at all. Oh, g- Google it. it. It and don't waste your time. But yeah, it was one of the worst movies ever. How, how old is that? Is that from like uh, 1940s or something like that? <laughs> No, it's not. I, I, 90s, maybe early 2000s, but yeah, not a good get. I, I try whoa, to whoa, whoa. try to I try to impress the 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 future in laws at the time. Didn't know that, but and, and hey, I got this great movie, Ishtar. Yeah, no. Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty. What's going on here? It was bad, 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 bad. It it you would think it would be good. It was not. Ishtar was terrible. How did this get scrubbed away from Dustin Hoffman's? Uh... Uh, credits. I, I swear I've gone through them over and over again. Great actor. All right. I, I, might, I, I might have to check it out. Uh, Shiloh saying, don't at me. Is it just me or is Bick's voice saying, want to go out for dinner? Every question to Jeannie. <laughs> that was one of the best viral or best moments. You know what I mean? The, how great a sport she was and all that sort of stuff. That was awesome. Yeah, that's not a thing I'll do. Uh, what is this? Waterworld was the most expensive movie ever made before Titanic. Yeah, no, no, no. It cost a lot. It didn't make a lot. That's like that's the issue. <laughs> it, it, it's all fine and good to have a, a high budget. When you don't make and there's no return on investment for everyone, that's the issue. Hey, listen, the folks out in the Valley are, are in the Dunbar Lumber Tech's inbox telling us about the golf course at uh, Castle Fun Park. Don't at me. I've lived in Abbotsford for 45 years, spent a lot of time at Castle Fun Park as a child and now with my kids. I'm an avid golfer, and I could tell you, not easy to get a hold in one. I've only done it twice. But that could also speak uh, to the yeah, golf skills of the texture, too. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> Minor Matt. Don't at me. Brian's movies take suck. <laughs> uh, you know what? The, the, the saying there's no accounting for taste or someone's trash is another yeah. person's treasure. Yeah, you never know what's what's going to hit with people. Uh, keep the thoughts going in. 650, 650. We'll try to hit a couple more on the other side. Uh, it's usually the weekend for a, a Jays invasion. Not happening, uh, unfortunately, because uh, we're not going down south, obviously. Um, but it's still exciting to see the Jays in Seattle. We'll talk to Paul Gallant from uh, ESPN 710 in Seattle and also about the Seahawks. They got a couple of contracts they got to figure out. We'll see if they can get it done before uh, the kickoff of the season uh, for uh, the Seattle Seahawks. We'll talk to Paul next here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Bick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Bick and the Boss. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Does your team need reliable construction equipment? Save thousands on Kubota excavators, skid steers, and loaders. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. C-Mac, we are nothing if not accountable. If I get something wrong, I'm more than happy to uh, say that I was wrong. I had a friend text me, and he said, you're completely wrong about Waterworld. It made a lot of money, despite even costing a lot of money. Uh, And so I looked it up, and yes, it did make some money. The movie I was actually thinking about was John Travolta's Battlefield Earth. And I mixed it up because the, the the covers of the movies are very similar. It's it's both Costner's face and he's, he's it's half of it is water, and so he's kind of blued out. And Battlefield Earth is Costner's face is in the same spot on the poster, and it's kind of blued out as well. So Battlefield Earth was a massive box office flop, and so that's what I got wrong. Okay, I never heard of that movie, so that's probably why it was such a flop. Yes. But uh, in the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, uh, some love for Ishtar. Ishtar is one of those movies that's so bad it's actually good. <laughs> I, yeah, I would not. I would not. I, no one watched this movie. I mean, we we you know we were pumping it up, and Greg had to watch Top Gun, and we're not sure if he's ever watched it or not. Like that. That to me is time well spent. Ishtar, no, not a chance. You never watched Top Gun, Greg? Oh, let's not go down this road. Here we go again. Yeah, let's not go down this road. Yeah, apparently right. not. He he just he has no idea. And then he was it was like Megabots or Megatron. He was trying to compare it. I, I called it a Transformers type movie. It from was back in the day. yeah, it was it was bad, Bick. It oh. you, you you know you that was one of the days. Obviously, Greg was yeah. helping fill in, and yeah, we we had to shut the mic off. Uh, Torgi wants to know what is an Ishtar. It's a it's a movie <laughs> with Dustin Hoffman and. Uh, and Warren Beatty, I, I, I just discovered it minute, minutes ago myself, Torgi. And the other thing is, everyone's sending us their uh, their Castle Fun Park scores now. And, yeah, uh, no, there, there's lots of ranking yeah. of, of different things. Uh, and uh, Leaf Hater Steve here, Bick, I lost a bet, and the punish was having to watch Battlefield Earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. That's rough. This all started us talking about Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams. Yeah, and again, like, yes, I'm nitpicking. Yes, I'm being a grumpy old man. Uh, Love the spectacle last night. Love the drama. Love the opening to a point. I just thought it was excessive to have Costner out there for so 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 long. But again, it's probably in his contract. They needed the they needed the music out there. They timed it perfectly. It's the feel of dreams music of like him there, Moonlight Graham looks up and it's like 
dong, and the players come walking out. I just, man, it, you needed every second of it to to extract all the anticipation out of it. And then you think, okay, is this going to be the coolest moment we see? And I know, look, short porch and all that sort of stuff, eight dingers in the game last night, and you're thinking, uh, how real is this game and, and whatnot. But, like, what theater? And it wasn't just that there was a lot of home runs. It's Judge. It's Stanton. It's Anderson closing this out. Like, the MLB, and I know, look, Hollywood ending and all this sort of stuff for a for a, a recreation of a Hollywood movie, but like the the MLB couldn't have ever scripted something like this. No, they couldn't. And the the White Sox jerseys were those not really good. The Yankees one kind of looked a little different, but the White Sox ones, period pieces as well. And watching balls fly into the cornfield, unbelievable. The 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 just the theater of it and the backdrop and everything. Yeah, they they, they hit a home run. Excuse the pun. We're going to do a stat me up later, and uh, I got something about what happened last night, how many people checked that out, and what an event entirely in its entirety it was. Uh, it, right now, though, let's head to Seattle, 710 ESPN. Uh, morning show host there, Paul Gallant, joining us and now. Uh, actually, before we get to the M's and the J's, Paul, uh, did you check out the uh, Field of Dreams game last night? What would you think? Well, Craig and Vic, I did. I think I'm one of those few people that doesn't like the movie <laughs> and while I really enjoyed the way that it ended because I'm a big Tim Anderson stan there is entirely too much Kevin Costner but you know what even though I don't really like the movie I actually think that as you just said and I'll repeat the cheesy line they hit it out of the park <laughs> <laughs> yeah I thought there was too much Costner last night but that was just me too I right thought, yes. I mean come on he's just like walking around for two minutes come on Let, let's get the guys out on the field no one cares about Kevin thank Costner. you thank you Bick see you're learning oh, something yeah. here today Bick <laughs> once in a lifetime once in a lifetime event and you guys want to hit fast forward on it <laughs> terrible taste. <tennis. laughs> Uh, so usually it's a, a Jays invasion, and everyone from our side of the border is waiting at the border right now and, and heading down the I five to to crash T-Mobile Park. But uh, not so much this year. But at least you know in in years previous it was all about hey just these two teams and geographic rivals or whatnot. But now there's kind of a, a wild card element in this, and these two teams are are kind of good. Uh, you know about this M season, it, it's kind of been up and down, and a lot of people kind of side eye it. You know minus fifty run differential and whatnot. Is this real? Uh, how would you describe the M season so far this year? In one word, overachieving. I mean, they can't mm-hmm. score, and yet here they are with a plus 500 record. It's largely been on the back of their bullpen, though a couple of weeks ago you would think that the sky was falling with some of the reaction that people had to the Mariners trading their best reliever, Kendall Graveman, away to the Houston Astros of all teams. But they're getting it done with a starting rotation that all of a sudden has been really looking good, one through five. The big problem has been they just haven't hit pretty much all season long. And when over the course of the last couple of games, you're basically scoring three runs or less, man, you're really asking a lot out of that pitching staff. And while the last time that the Mariners and Jays went up against each other, Seattle was able to take two out of three. As someone who used to cover George Springer in Houston, I I know that this is a completely different Jays lineup with him now all of a sudden turning it on in addition to having Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Marcus Simeon. So I I think right now the Mariners are on the ropes as far as their actual ability to contend in the playoffs and and keep up in the race against the Yankees and Blue Jays. But 
for now, they're still just barely hanging around. Paul, uh, I got an email today. We're, we're an affiliate of the Mariners now, do their games, and it was an invitation to come down to Seattle to watch a game in a suite, which was fantastic, great offer. And what I'm getting at here is the border's still closed. It's only going one way. We can't cross a line, we being the Canadians. So it's going to be a different feeling with this J series coming in. I, I'm, I'm guessing maybe the Seattle faithful is hope is happy that there aren't you know thousands upon thousands of yes. Jays fans showing up. It's going to yes. be different, isn't it? Yes, everyone is very thrilled about this. And not, nothing against you guys. I, I'm sure a lot of you would love to come down and actually catch a baseball game. But it gets to a point where it is so crowded with Jays fans and you don't typically expect <laughs> Canadians to be impolite. But when you have a bunch of Blue Jays all in one, Blue Jays fans all in one location, yeah, it gets a little bit annoying for the average Mariners fan. This year it might have been a little bit different just because the team is actually playing well compared to years past where they've just been so awful. But, yeah, we're all very happy about that. Sorry. <laughs> hey, you uh, mentioned the Graveman trade. I- I'm just curious. Like, in-, in one regard, it is, okay, you look at it and say – they're, they're overachieving, and, and do you make this move and, and say, hey, we're, we're trying to build out our future as well. But there is the, the essence and the purity of going for it in sport. And here they are, just a handful of games back of the wild card, and thinking, oh, you really should just go for it and, and, and push for this opportunity. What has the reaction been post you know, from the fans uh, since the trade went down, and ha- have, have cooler heads prevailed at all with that? Fans are mad. And I can understand why some who have been following this team for 20-plus years, one of the longest playoff droughts in sports, are getting angry because do you really know that you're going to be back in this spot next year? I think you can bet on it given how young the team is and with some of the prospects that they have in the minor leagues. There's a chance that next year they could be better, but there's also a chance that next year they won't have a a legitimate shot of making the playoffs. And I think a lot of veteran players are upset about that. And, yes, some long-suffering Mariners fans are ticked off about it. Now, if you take a look at it from a realist and a uh, practical standpoint, the odds of them being able to outgun some of these teams in the American League, whether it's Oakland or it's Boston or Tampa Bay as the second team coming out of the American League East, the odds are very much against them. So I looked at it thinking to myself, they can't score. Do we really think that they're going to be able to make up that much ground on Oakland and Boston? They, they play those teams, you know, a bunch of times before the end of the year, but the odds are that's not going to happen. So I didn't mind it, but I understand why a lot of people in Seattle were ticked off. Impatience is something that I think a lot of fans get to, but they're past the point of impatience. And to have faith in this Mariners front office that they're committed to winning, I, I, I get why a lot of people are upset right now. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the drought. I mean, the, the Mariners were the kings up here north of the border, let alone south of the border at the beginning of the 2000s. And and that frustration, are you surprised it's taken them this long to try and get it right? That they're, they're in this spot right now, and obviously you talk about the future looks great, but the futures look great a few times. They just haven't been able to get it over the line. Right. At this time, it, it looks better because they actually have some young players. I mean, if you go back to 2018, yeah, they were in the swing of things, but – I mean, you're comparing them to that Oakland team that went on a tear in August and then the Astros, who have just been a dreadnought, whether they cheat or don't cheat, for the last couple of years. The chances of them making it in 2018 weren't very high. But before that, yeah, I mean, we're going back to 2001 
when this team had the best record in baseball for the last time that this team actually was a serious player. And it's been such a long time. This market still cares about baseball, even with the fact that things have just been so difficult over the last 20 years. But, I mean, at a certain point, you got to push the chips into the middle of the table. If you're going to sit around and just not even, not even buy into the game for hours and hours and hours when you're playing poker with your friends, I mean, what's the point? So I, I think some people are getting to that point, but I, I get why they did it. You know, they, they've, and honestly, they're ahead of schedule as far as being potentially back on the right track to getting back in the playoffs. Paul Gallant joining us uh, from 710 ESPN in Seattle. Uh, also gearing up for uh, the start of the season and obviously uh, the preseason this weekend uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. So the big looming question is what to do with these two contracts that they've got looming over them, Dwayne Brown and Jamal Adams. And, and here's the thing, Paul. It's like I keep thinking about this and – you know, you, you sift through the, you know, the agent speak and the team speak of, hey, we're trying yeah. to do this and trying to do that. They have cap space. These guys are under contract. If you sign them, you lower the cap space entirely because you're bringing them back on on extended term. Like, I, I, I don't understand what the complication is here outside of just trying to leverage each other. I, I think with Jamal Adams right now, they're really close to getting the deal done. And the most recent news that you got from Jeremy Fowler, that smells like something that's coming from Jamal Adams' agent. I think they're really close, and I would be really surprised if Jamal Adams isn't on the field for the Seahawks at the start of the season. So I'm actually not concerned about that one at all. The Dwayne Brown one is an interesting one, though. Dwayne Brown has, in the past, sat out games to make a point. He sat out in Houston. And if he wants to get more money guaranteed going forward, then he might be willing to do it again. And can the Seahawks really afford to go into this coming season a year where there's a lot of pressure on the offense without one of the best left tackles in the NFL. I don't think they can. I know there's some reservations, I think, for the Seahawks just about his age, and I know that there also was some thoughts that Wayne Brown might actually retire this offseason, but obviously he's been brought back into the fold. So maybe there are some questions that Seattle has about Brown's long-term commitment here. But, I mean, we know what a good player he is. He was second in the NFL in terms of pass block win rate last year to only one other tackle who, by the way, is 39 years old, Andrew Whitworth in Los Angeles. To me, this is a no-brainer. I don't have a problem with giving Dwayne Brown money, not just this season that's about to start, but next year too, because without his first-round draft pick, the Seahawks don't really have an ability to get that next left tackle. That's generally where you find a future left tackle is in the first round. You've seen so many teams desperate, like the Houston Texans trading two first-round picks for Laramie Tunstall to get a left tackle, and he's not even that good. It's hard to get left tackles in this league. You have a really good one in Dwayne Brown. Are you really expecting him to fall off a cliff just because he's going to turn 36 at the end of this month? That's at least the way that I see it. But the Seahawks want to hold a hard-line approach to all of their free agents, and they want to come back and talk about this thing at the end of next year. We'll see if over the coming weeks, if Dwayne Brown decides to sit out, if maybe they change their mind. In the meantime, you got this six foot eight behemoth from the sixth round named Stone Forsythe, who you're going to see a whole lot of on Saturday. And he's been looking decent at training camp, but you know, you're asking a sixth round rookie project to step in for one of the best left tackles in the NFL. There's definitely going to be a downgrade. Yeah. And when the lights go on, you know how different it is. And yeah. with all that went on with Russell Wilson this, this off season and how mm. Russ wasn't happy, is he not knocking on the door and saying, Hey guys, come on, let's figure this out. Uh, oh, he, he already has. And, and honestly, I, I've gotten tired of, 
his antics this off season. It's it's grown extremely tiresome. The most recent news was this week. You heard from, uh, you saw a report in the Seattle Times, and essentially the report said that Russell Wilson would be willing to restructure his contract to help a Jamal Adams or a Dwayne Brown contract get done. Well, guess what? He doesn't need to restructure his contract to do that. And they also don't even need to ask him to restructure. That's posturing. And I think that that Russell Wilson and his camp, maybe it wasn't Russell Wilson, probably it was his agent, were putting that out there to make the Seahawks either feel pressure to get those deals done or to make the Seahawks just look bad. Because there has really seemingly been some pettiness between Russell Wilson's agent, Mark Rogers, and the Seahawks front office. And then uh, someone who we believe, Colin Cowherd has been hearing a lot from inside Russell Wilson's court. There was this ridiculous take that he had yesterday that maybe there's more urgency to give Jamal Adams an extension than Dwayne Brown because Pete Carroll's ego is so tied to the defense. It's a completely ridiculous thing to throw out there. So I'm tired of the pressure that Russell Wilson is putting on them, but he's definitely trying to. That's for sure. So ultimately, what is the ceiling for this team as we gear up for uh, the season? Because I'm looking at the NFC West. It's and we, we've known this for a couple of seasons now. It's the toughest division, uh, probably yeah. in the the NFL. And yet, ultimately, look, Pete Carroll's still there. Russell Wilson's still there. They just chalk up double digit wins every single year. It's always about the playoffs. And I'm still looking at this, thinking they're going to go to the playoffs. It's how many rounds do they win? They're a plus 500 team. I think that's a lock. I think there's a very good chance they're, they're at the very least a wild card team. I do think San Francisco is the best roster in the NFC West, and L.A. is definitely better with Matt Stafford under center. So there's a chance three of the four teams could make the playoffs, and I don't think Arizona is going to be a complete slouch either. The ceiling is a Super Bowl as long as you got Russell Wilson under center, and the real question is going to be what this new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, can bring to the table. They've been talking about being at a faster pace, rhythm, et cetera, et cetera. But I've heard this before going into a year where, oh, this is the year where the Seahawks are finally going to push the pace. We heard that going into last year with Brian Schottenheimer. The real question is if Shane Waldron, a guy who's coming out from Sean McVay underneath his uh, wings in Los Angeles, if he's going to be able to unlock an element of this Seahawks offense that they couldn't get anywhere close to in the second half of last year. It's all on this guy. It's all on a coordinator. I don't know what to expect. I've seen good things thus far, but I think the safe expectation is that this is a team that's going to, at the very least, be out in the first or second round of the playoffs, and we might have this entire conversation again about whether or not Russell Wilson feels that the Seahawks give him a, the best chance to win compared to other situations, and you know, maybe we're seeing more trade chatter. So, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling this might be another Groundhog Day uh, <laughs> this coming off season. Uh, he is Paul Gallant of Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN in Seattle. You can follow him at uh, Gallant Says on Twitter. Paul, uh, we appreciate it. Actually, hey, really before, really quickly, uh, how's the excitement uh, building for the Kraken? Oh, I can't wait. Uh, it's It's been a long time since I've been in a city that had a hockey team. Um, weirdly, I am one of the few Tampa Bay Lightning fans that does not live in the Tampa Bay area. And I've just been dying for a reason to see hockey live. People are very excited. I, I don't have very many expectations for the Kraken in year one, given that it's an expansion team. I don't think they're going to be able to replicate what the Vegas Golden Knights did. But people are excited. It's, it's such a fun sport to watch in person. And I'm envious that you guys have had the Canucks uh, to watch for so long. Uh, again, he is Paul Gallant at Gallant Says on Twitter. Thanks a lot. We'll, uh, we'll catch up throughout the year.
Craig, Vic, thank you very much. Have a good one, guys. That is Paul Gallant, a 710 ESPN in Seattle, uh, part of Danny and Gallant. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Seahawks ceiling uh, is going to be really fascinating because I, I'm curious. I was making this point to Sat on uh, Tuesday. You know, traditionally, this offense, we, we know what it is. As much as, you know, we, we talk about a new coordinators, new weapons, ultimately Pete Carroll has his say on it, and it's still fairly conservative. And now the sales pitch for, for a Pete Carroll has always been, look, we've gone to Super Bowls. It's worked for me. It, 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 it will have its success if you just buy into it. Well, that was seven years since they've been to a Super Bowl. At some point, does Pete Carroll ease up on the reins a little bit? And that's really all that's necessary, a little bit. A 3 to 5% adaptability rate, and you might see a higher ceiling for the team. I have my hopes for that. I also have my my reservations that that will ever happen because Pete Carroll uh, gets to have a lot of power in the scenario. Yeah, and he's just true to this balanced attack. And I agree with that. In a football team, you have to be able to run mm-hmm. the football at times. But he almost forces the run, you know, to a point that you're like, ah, you know, the game has evolved since they went to their last Super Bowl. The the, the offense and the way you run it, and and hey, I'm I'm hopeful the tempo's there. I'm hopefully Russell Wilson gets the ball out quicker. You don't put as much stress and strain on that offensive line. But Pete still, to me, is a bit of a throwback and and loves that ground and pound and and yeah, you got to wear teams. I totally get that. You don't abandon it, but. That reliance or sometimes staying there, I don't know that that's your best way to success in this day and age. Uh, we'll continue the conversation, NFL preseason, and uh, setting up for uh, week one of the NFL season. Emory Hunt going to join us uh, in just a couple of seconds, uh, or on the other side of the break. Um, last night preseason game, I was watching Mac Jones uh, for the New England Patriots. And the easy thing is, hey, they've been looking for the next Tom Brady, and it's here's this guy, first-round pick, uh, looks kind of stable. It's like, here they go. They got their next Brady. Not quite, obviously. It's going to be difficult to replicate Brady. But I think the New England Patriots was very obvious yesterday. They're trying to replicate the idea of who they once were. We'll get into that. And uh, your reaction as well, 650-650 here on Bick and the Boss. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet, 650. Now back to Bick and the Boss on the official home of the Canucks. Tiki Pete comes out of the box and puts the puck into the back of the net. Sportsnet 650. Welcome to Bick and the Boss. Bick Nazar, Craig McEwen on a Friday the 13th, a smoky Friday the 13th as well. Hope you're indoors and staying safe uh, and everything. Uh, we were joking earlier. I don't even know how we got here. Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner, Castle Fun Park, and uh, people starting <laughs> started sending us their like uh, their rounds from Castle Fun Park and the times they've hit uh, hole in ones. Yeah, yeah, hole in yep. ones. And I was saying, yeah, people keep sending in our scores, and now people are sending in uh, other times they've scored at uh, Castle Fun Park. Uh, uh, a lot of other style text uh, coming in as well into our uh, text message inbox. So, uh, yes, we, we read your texts, uh, Dane and Surrey and among others. Now, not everyone had the courage to sign their texts like Dane and Surrey did, but uh, trust me, we have, we have read them all. Yeah, Dane suggesting that, hey, all you nerds, uh, just keep sending in your golf scores and I'm a player. 
Look, yeah. Uh, I, you know what? I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at yeah, that. We, but, uh, we, the theater of the mind, buddy. This is what radio is yes. all about. We're, we're painting the picture with a little innuendo yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But, hey, well, you know, the inbox. No, there was no innuendo in the inbox. Oh, okay. There's no innuendo in the inbox. That's why we didn't read it. But, yes. uh, yeah, no, the, the the fact of the matter is, is this is uh, the way this works. People give us their thoughts and opinions, and we share yeah. with, the, with the listeners out there. Like this one in here in the Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 656. Underrated Coster movie is 3,000 Miles to Graceland. Very good. I agree. Yes, I agree. Uh, and also uh, an unsigned text. Oh, no, sorry. Lonzo Longbody texting in. Yep. Uh, dudes, they were recreating the scene from the movie. Costner was re- recreating his walk about the field. It would have been a lame reaction without Costner. Like the movie or not, Costner was the play. Hey, so, I uh, never said Costner shouldn't have been involved. I just felt it was just too much of look at me, yeah, look at me, too long. It, 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 it's, less it's is him, more. It's him walking through the cornfield just like he did in the movie. It's it's the same thing. Yeah, I I I, it, I guess they call it an homage, C Mac. <laughs> is that what that was? I thought that yes. was uh, ego. Is what that was? Not no, not an homage. Yes, they were playing off the movie, riffing off. Yes, you needed Coster, but you really didn't need him moving to the left side. A couple more steps to the right. Now I'm going to go into second base. No, I'm going to back up into center field, and I'm going to head to the pitcher. Come on, just come on, Kevin. Get the players out there. They're the they're the stars. Uh, so Wayne texted in as well. It's like, hey, they, they needed James Earl jo- Jones, the voice of that. I believe in the ballpark they did play that. Uh, People will come, Ray. People will come. I, I think they played the whole monologue in the park. You could kind of hear it in the background, but not uh, actually on the broadcast or throwing to it or anything like that. Uh, Big Nassar, uh, Craig McEwen here. We'll have more of the Field of Dreams stuff. A lot of takes coming in uh, into the 650-650 text, text message inbox. But uh, joining us now, uh, one of our favorites, it is Emery Hunt uh, joining us now here on Bick and the Boss. Uh, NFL preseason getting underway. And, and Emery, I was watching uh, the Patriots last night, uh, and, and the thought to me occurred of, you know, a team – this team has had so much success over the past 20 some odd years. And, and at times people look at a, you know, the 2007 Patriots. It's like, Oh, Tom Brady is amazing. And, and they're, they need to get back to that. I see Mac Jones and I see this bill Belichick coaching staff. And I see a team that wants to get back to that early two thousands team of special teams dominates Adam Vinatieri and Bruce and, and, and Vrabel and Malloy and McGinnis and this great defense and a QB that just knows how to get to the job done. That was my early impression of Mac Jones last night. Well, you know, just looking at Mac Jones and how he plays, he plays a, a point guard type game. I compared this game to Matt Hasselbeck and what he was able to do when he was out there in Seattle. Uh, yeah, he's a different style of quarterback than Cam Newton. Um, and, you know, they want someone that can direct an offense. But you, you hope that uh, in today's game where mobility is key and you have to be able to, to create off script. You, you hope that Mac Jones can do that because if you go back to what he was able to do at Alabama, he played in front of the best offensive line. He played with some of the best uh, skill players and things aren't going to always be perfect like it was at Alabama. And you hope that he can be able to deal outside of those, those, uh, you know, those muddy pockets or, you know, get away from pressure. And that's something we haven't, been able to see just yet what we saw last night was just him uh just finding completions and that's a good thing uh but his average was 
4.6 yards an attempt. So, again, you know, it's his first preseason game. I'm pretty sure you could chalk up some of the throws that we saw to nervousness. So that's why I'm excited for the second preseason game to see what he can do with probably more of an extended look uh, at the position. Belichick is always trying to be one step ahead, thinking outside the box. And, you know, you look at what he did last night, kind of forcing a two-minute situation for Jones. Do you get a sense that this could be a bit of a, a quarterback co- committee in, in some sense where they might use him, obviously bring him along solely, but but Cam in the red zone and when they line up and they, they need to get the ball into the end zone is probably still their best option? Cam is still their best option, you know, the entire field because Cam changes the dynamic. He changes the math. You know, when you have a Cam Newton – you have to now defend the entire field. You're, he makes an 11 on 11 game. Mac Jones tilts the number in the the, uh, the to the favor of the defense in favor of the defense. So you still have the best option in Cam Newton. And I think what you're seeing now um, is because remember we didn't have a preseason last year, so it's important to get these young guys these live game reps because you cannot fake live action. You can't script live action in practice against yourself you can't you know create that live action against a team that you're scrimmaging against because it's still a controlled practice so anytime you have an opportunity to get a guy live game reps you will do so and i think that's the importance of getting all of these young quarterbacks and these rookies these reps that we're seeing now in the preseason because again cam is the best option and you won't be able to get mac jones any live game reps in the season unless it's in a blowout situation so last year they go seven and nine, and you know Brady's doing his thing as Tampa Bay, and, and it started bad for the Patriots, and it, it never felt like they're going to be able to recover. And then I was thinking back to that year, and they had so many COVID opt outs and all these things, and I look at that and I say seven nine, that's not that bad given the context of this year. Then come this year, they make all this investment to get some new playmakers. You know, you get your defense back. Could they be, are, are they being majorly overlooked as far as their potential in the AFC? Absolutely. You brought up a great point. The fact that they had all those COVID opt-outs. Cam himself got COVID, so that kind of hindered his success the rest of the way. They still had an opportunity to get to the playoffs if they beat Buffalo in that game in which Cam got the first down but then fumbled, uh, if they win that game, then we're talking about a different Patriots team perhaps going into the playoffs despite all of what they had. Now you get all those guys back. You expect them to be much better defensively. Second year in this offense with Cam Newton, a full offseason, uh, you know, un, you know, interrupted. So I think we're still going to – we will still see – uh, the Patriots play winning football as dysfunctional as they were last year with all those COVID opt-outs and situations that they had going on. They still, like you said, finished seven and nine. So all things being considered, this is still a Bill Belichick coach team. They still have a very good defense. They're going to have a very good offensive line. They can run the football. They beefed up the tight end position. Um, receivers still a wait to see approach. Yeah, they've added some guys, but you still want to see how those guys play out. So this still can be, defense and run game which still to this day in 2021 can win you football games emory hunt joining us here the czar of the playbook nfl analyst for cbs sports but i i will ask you this emory they, they can still be in it they have some pieces they had a lot of guys opt out but is belichick's message still being delivered like can he control this group like he has controlled those groups in the past in your opinion 
Absolutely. You know, people still want to play for New England because they still feel as though Belichick gives them a chance to go to the Super Bowl. You know, and so, yeah, that's still the message. That's still the the way they go about things. The Patriot way is still the Patriot way, and I think that'll never change. So looking elsewhere as we get set for uh, week one of the NFL season, uh, you know, I find myself – you know, usually I, I I always laugh at the Chicago Bears. It's like defense, defense, defense. Never have solved the quarterback issue. And as much as they get put into national spotlight because of Chicago, they get national games. I always just kind of scoff at it and say, "Here we go, another Bears game," and they're going to lose it. And sure enough, they do. This year, I find myself collecting as much Bears stock as I can, and it's all because of Justin Fields. How excited are you to watch this guy in that, in particular, with with some of the weapons they do have there with Mooney and and Allen Robinson. I'm very excited to watch these guys play, man, because, again, we haven't seen a Bears squad with this type of talent at the position, you know, or someone that you could believe in since Jim McMahon. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how people become, uh, you know, enamored with the weapons that they have on this roster. I think people always undersold the, the weapons and talents that they have because the quarterback at the position at the time um, Trubisky just makes you believe that they don't have good options, but they really do. And when you add a good quarterback in place, everything around that good player will get better. You'll start to notice the run game. You'll start to notice how talented the receiving core is, especially at tight end. The defense will be well rested. So everything around Chicago will get better because of Justin Fields. So I'm excited to see him hit the ground running and really take control. I've never seen one fan base universally rally around one draft pick like the Bears fans did with Justin Fields. Usually when a team picks a a player, some fans wanted someone else. Some fans are like, yeah, he's not that good to me. Some fans love it. Every Chicago Bear fan loved that pick. And so I'm excited for the fans, and I'm excited for Justin Fields. Yeah, and how does his game translate, do you think, at this level? And is there a worry about putting too much pressure or too much onus on what he does too quick, too soon in Chicago? Because you don't want to ruin a young quarterback in a situation where he just gets completely overwhelmed. I, I love the situation. I think his game translates well. What, what, To your point, what happens when, when guys get quote-unquote ruined is usually someone else's uh, – you know, I don't want to say trash, but it's someone else's quarterback or selection. So they inherit this player. So they're not really all in on the guy. And if you have a situation where you see someone that drafts you, there's already an investment there. Case in point, you look at Dwayne Haskins in Washington, juxtaposed to what you see him doing in such a brief stint in Pittsburgh. It shows you how valuable uh, someone's investment in your success is. And so Chicago, they want Justin Fields to be successful. This is a, a Matt Nagy guy. This is a Ryan Pace guy. So they were collaborative on that effort and getting him in there. So that alone puts him in a great position to succeed. So that's interesting because I'm thinking of, you know, the infrastructure around a quarterback for what you're talking about, you know, having the coaching staff and the GM make this pick and, and you know, it being your guy and developing a system around him. I do look at Miami last year and they catered a lot of things for the idea of Ryan Fitzpatrick was their quarterback. And now they make some changes, offensive coordinator comes in, and it, it, it feels like everything is directed towards Tua's the starter, 
Tua is where we're developing everything around his skill set rather than Tua fitting into somebody else's. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and 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 also you get a healthy Tua who's not coming off of a hip injury that almost derailed his career. And so, yeah, you, you have the buy-in, that group of guys selected Tua with an understanding that he's going to be their future. Um, if they had their, their way, they wouldn't have played him at all last year. Uh, but, you know, things happen in the NFL. Ryan Fitzpatrick did Ryan Fitzpatrick things. It was ineffective to where you had to go to another option, so you had to throw Tua out there. Um, and then you had to bring back Ryan Fitzpatrick. But now everything is all about Tua and doing what Tua does well. And he's going into a season, you know, more confident in the scheme, more confident in his own health, and more confident in the, in the situation around him. So we should see the best form of Tua in 2021. So with the young quarterbacks, too, I look at uh, Trevor Lawrence, and it, it's – by the way, it's Emory Hunt joining us uh, at F-Ball Game Plan if you want to follow him on Twitter. I, I look at Trevor Lawrence, and he gets labeled as this you know, best since Andrew Luck. And if you go back to those Colts teams, there was no support. There was no talent. And yet Andrew Luck, you know, the, the, the rising tide lifts all boats, and he, he, he had successful winning seasons with that organization. The Jacksonville Jaguars, to me, feel like they have a lot more pieces compared to those Colts teams then. And if Lawrence is this prospect that was, you know, as labeled as great as Andrew Luck, is is it fair to look at that and say, hey, nine wins might be the potential if you have this level of quarterback? First of all, we got to stop saying Andrew Luck didn't have health and weapons. This man played with Reggie Wayne, T.Y. Hilton. You know, he had options. You know, he got to the playoffs. And, And, you know, he also was a good player. You know, you had Dwayne Allen, that tight end, Kobe Fleener. Um, so he had good options. They had a good defense, and they got to the playoffs. So Andrew Luck was good, and the team was good. If he was terrible, they wouldn't have won as many games. So Andrew Luck had help. Um, but to your point, I do think Jacksonville is set up uh, properly, and it's the same point I'll make for Jacksonville that I'll make for that I made for Chicago. People will become more familiar with the talent that Jacksonville has. They have a sneaky, good roster from a skill position perspective at receiver, at running back. They're deep there as well. I think their offensive line played a lot better last year. And now you add a better quarterback to that situation, along with a coach that is all, he spent, what, three years, three, four years watching Trevor Lawrence play. And now you have the opportunity to go to the NFL and take that dude that you watch exclusively for four years, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is going to hit the ground running. He's going to have that Andrew Luck-like Andrew Luck like start, um, which is going to be exciting to see because we got cheated out of Andrew Luck, uh, his career, because of the injuries. Uh, but I think we're in, in store for another, you know, very talented young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. In a situation, man, that, that like you talked about, people don't realize how good they have it. Um, in Jacksonville, a lot of young talent, uh, a lot of explosive talent, and Trevor Lawrence is going to help folks realize how good they really are uh, because of his own play. One of the reasons though, I love talking to you, we've been talking to you for a long time, and I feel like two years ago we brought you on and we kind of asked you, you know, what team are you worried about? And I think you mentioned the Cleveland Browns. Don't buy into the hype. Odell comes in. It's like, just wait. And then last year I feel like we talked about Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. And it's like, hey, don't buy the hype. Who are you worried about going into this season? You know, I, I think I'm worried about Washington. I just find it interesting that folks are already saying that they're the best in the division 
or they'll finish second in the division. I'm like, and get to the playoffs. But I'm like, hey, what what playoff team have you ever seen Ryan Fitzpatrick lead? You know, and if you rank that by talent, that division by talent at the position, it goes Dallas, Philly, Giants, Washington. So I am so worried about everyone being all in the Washington because, to me, Washington has a really good defense, you know, borderline great defense. They're good in the front seven. Um, they're good on the back end. Inside backer is a question. But overall, they're very good to great Offensive line is a question mark. Running back is okay, but and they've got they have some talent at receiver, but they have a huge hole at quarterback, at quarterback one and at quarterback two. So that right there alone is going to keep them out of the playoffs and is going to hover around that seven win mark once again. Um, I just think that people that are throwing the Washington football team in the playoffs are being so misguided on the idea of Ryan Fitzpatrick being good for 17 weeks. The last time we saw him in a win and end situation was when he was a starting quarterback and the Jets and had to beat the Buffalo Bills in week 17 to get into the playoffs. And he threw three of the worst interceptions you could possibly throw to get to keep them out of the playoffs. And then last year, his own play was the reason why the Dolphins did get in. Irregardless of what Tua did, six and three as a starter, but Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't playing too well when he got bent. So I don't know where this this you know, belief in this 38-year-old quarterback that has never been to playoffs is coming from. Uh, he's one of our favorites, uh, Emory Hunt, uh, especially if you want CFL coverage. Uh, we ran out of time here, Emory, but tweeting about the BC Lions game last night. So if you're a big Lions fan, make sure you're following Emory on Twitter, at FBallGamePlan and uh, with the CBS Sports HQ. Emory, thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you guys for having me on. Always a pleasure. That's uh, one of the best. Uh, Emery Hunt uh, joining us here on Vic and the Boss. Gearing up for what should be a uh, busy NFL weekend. And if you're uh, thinking about uh, you know what you need, your, your, your beverages, your meals, your snacks, whatever it is, well, we got the guy for you, uh, Joe Leary, just here for the beer, coming up on Sunday on Sportsnet 650. Joe, how are you today? Uh, I'm good, guys. It's a nice transition from ball into beer, and I, I like the I like the segue there. Yeah, and yeah. and 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 this week though, Joe, you got a big show coming up. But but apparently, our our producer was the one who was in charge. Of it. So th- was the audio okay? Did Art actually <laughs> find his way out there? Like we're we're not really sure what Art does here at the station. To be honest with you, you know, Greg Ballack's <laughs> doing all the hard work, and and we actually sent Art out. So was he okay on location? Did did Art uh, embarrass himself? You know what? I'm going to be listening for the mic pops and the hisses. Uh, he's spending a little extra time working on the production <laughs> element, so I, I'm hoping everything will be okay. But you know what's, what's interesting, Craig, is that um, we started the show in October of 2010 on the, what, the frequency of 6.50 a.m. at that time, which was an oldie station. Yeah. And who was our producer back then? Mr. Art Factora. And how life comes full circle, it's, it's incredible. So here he's back again. Or he just hasn't improved or moved on from anywhere. He's, he, listen, we had to inherit this guy from 650. Uh, Bick doesn't know this story, but it was like, oh, you got the signal? Well, you got to take Art, too, because Art apparently is. You know what? Forever. He's a likable sort. Somebody has to absorb him, right? Somebody <laughs> has to, yeah. 
Oh, I think you have to take the rest of the interview here, Subek. I'm dying over here. Um, <laughs> okay, so this weekend, uh, I'm, I'm looking outside of my own window here, a bit smoky. I'm, I'm concerned people are just going to uh, stay indoors a, a little bit uh, and not enjoy our, our BC weather, although you know, stay safe. What does that do for the uh, craft beer market, and, and what should we expect this Sunday on the show? Well, first of all, uh, what we should expect, Vic, is that we this to show you how vast the areas and the beer communities have expanded. Our, our previous show two weeks ago was in what's called the Langley Loop of Breweries, where we focused on four breweries through uh, the city of Langley. Now we expand our second consecutive show in Langley, the, the north end of Langley. And, uh, you know, again, there's about eight to ten breweries either up and running or about to be completed in in Langley, and and I don't diminish Langley because it's certainly grown exponentially. But you know, when you think about the fact that like eight years ago there was Dead Frog Brewing, and that was about it, and now we're about you know eight or nine deep, and and only getting higher. So we worked with Tourism Langley to showcase the uh, the vastness of the beer community there. We'll be broadcasting from Barley Merchant, which is a great new bar that's focused purely on local, local, local. It's in Walnut Grove on 200th Street in Langley. And we've got Locality Brewing, which is a brewery that actually exists on farmland with everything from the farm in their brewery. Uh, That's on 252nd Street, Locality Brewing. They just opened. We've got Brookswood Brewing. John Collins and Jeff Herkett are of Brookswood Brewing. They are about to open. Uh, They're on 240th. We will talk with the, uh, the, the people behind Smuggler's Trail. They're newly open, Smuggler's Trail uh, Brewing. And uh, we'll also focus on Dead Frog Brewing, which we said is now kind of considered the OG uh, head brewer, Cole Smith. We'll also uh, talk with Daniela and Aaron from, from Tourism Langley just to extol the virtues of, again, the, the beer communities in, in the lower mainland, in British Columbia, and all around the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we can hold our, hold our own with pride because there's so much good product coming out. And we'll also do a little feature called Meet the Brewer of with Sean Phillips, who will talk with a brand new beer called Kitts Beach Beer, a guy named Dana Barnaby, who just decided to start his own beer company. And, uh, you know, again, that's a different area, separate area to what we're doing. But our primary focus this weekend, as we tour around the lower mainland communities, we're looking at uh, the north side of Langley. Yeah, and and I'm super familiar with that area, Joe, considering mm-hmm. it's my postal code. So I'm going to go to the Barley Merchant, drop your yeah. name, or should I be dropping Art's name to get a table? Because the last <laughs> time I went there on a weekend, it was packed like unbelievable I, I i can't wait to get in the doors but is it your name i'm dropping or arts I, i'm not sure hey, you, you know what i'll tell you what craig you know i like to i like to share the wealth so i'll tell you, you you reach out to me i will connect you with the connector make sure that you get yourself a seat at the bar at, at the barley merchant nice thank you buddy i really appreciate okay. that got it Joe, don't encourage him don't we, we don't need this we don't need this at all uh no, joe maybe, thanks maybe a lot yeah, yeah. uh it's a su- sunday night at nine nine yeah. o'clock yes Got it. Right Thanks, on. Appreciate it. You bet. That's Joe Joe Leary just here for the beer uh, Sunday nights at 9. Uh, look at you just trying to get uh, the hookups. Well, you know, the, the king of the hook hookups back in the day was Don Taylor. And we used to, you know, there's an Elvis song. I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like, I think it's like CC Ride or something. So we used to look at Taylor and we want to go somewhere. We go, hey. And he would know exactly what it meant. That meant the hookup. Don would set us up. So I've learned from the king of uh, of getting uh, you know into places. Uh, Don Taylor, king of Kensington. 
Uh, we got a run here. We're back uh, with Scott Brown, Fifth Avenue Real Estate, and your reaction. 65650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Do you want to have a conversation about uh, the Olympics? You know, we were coming off the Summer Olympics, and we're all excited, and we're now looking ahead to the winter. NHL participation, is it in flux? We were having a blast yesterday talking about, hey, should Paul Horvat be on the team and all this and getting excited for it. Now today, suddenly, uh feels like we should have some trepidation over will the NHL NHLers be participating. We'll get, get into that conversation uh, on the way here on Pick and the Boss, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to Pick and the Boss on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back, Bick and the Boss. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Is this Chromio, Greg? Yes, but I got in trouble because C-Mac wanted that Elvis song, and I couldn't get to it in time. So it's a little bit of a touchy well, subject right now. Yeah, don't don't go there, Bick. I'm upset he didn't get CC Ryder. And, uh, you know, Tommy, East Van, the ba bum song you're trying to sing there sounded like the the song from the original Family Feud. No, it's CC Ryder. Elvis comes out. It's It's this big... Extravaganza, and that's what Don Taylor was like. He was like Elvis. He came out, and, and he had to play the big uh, CC Ryder song for him. So what you're saying is the uh, Greg Ballack playing that song is more like uh, The Price Is Right, the ba dum ba bum. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's Greg's Thank career you. right there. Oh come here, he come here, he come. Don Taylor coming in the Roxy. Don Taylor getting free golf at Westwood Plateau. Don Taylor getting free food downtown. That was the so, song okay. we used to play for Donnie. Is that like his Vince McMahon? Because you know that that picture or that gif of Vince like strutting out and like the arms are going and yes. Vince McMahon's music like no chance and all that sort of stuff. That's that's Don's version of that it. That is it. That that is the we just there's a group of us you know Murph Shorty Taylor B Mac all the guys you you, you just did the hey bottom bum you know and, and knew exactly what it was. Gonna have to text Donnie uh, about this. See if we can get some uh, Tri Cities hookups as well. That's yeah. right. He's he's kind of out in your hood. He can get you hooked up yeah. for sure. My neck of the woods. Although I can't even see the neck of the woods right now. It's all uh, smoky right now. I can oh, I can see a, a version of my uh, neighborhood here. Uh, Bick Nazar and Craig McEwen here. Bick and the boss. Gonna talk to Scott Brown, Fifth Avenue Real Estate. In just a second for uh, some stat me up, and let's actually talk to him right now. Scott, how how are you faring in this smoke? Well, three quick things. One, do you guys tell Dan Don when he hooks you up in the Elvis theme? Thank you, Don. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, very good. Yes. Uh, yes. Number two would be, geez, you guys are talking about beer and football. I got to pull over. <laughs> uh, and we're ready to go. That's fantastic. Good show. Lots going on. I feel like we're at a sports buffet here this weekend. I'll have a little of that, a little bit. I'm going more back for that later. So it's yeah, good. Sure. I'm good. Yeah. For sure. And and then what was the third thing? Third thing was the you sports had... buffet. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come on, Bick. Pay attention. Listen. Listen. You got to pay attention. Well, the fourth uh, one was I was going to say, boy, if you came in at the wrong show and all you heard was the hookup part, you might think you were on the wrong channel. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. Okay, let me kick this party off. I, I'm, I'm going to go with my stat pick first, okay? Is that okay with sure. you, my sports stat? So my... It's not like my... It's not like I'm running the show here or anything like that. Well, I, you weren't listening and paying attention, so yeah. You just got to defer to the boss no matter what. What, am I going to say no? <laughs> no, yeah. Good point, good point. Hey, my stat is uh, 31. 
Joe Thornton signing with the Panthers today, a one-year deal, 750000 as uh, Jumbo Joe continues his career. He was skating in Europe, uh, in Switzerland, but is coming back to the NHL. He uh, is 31 assists shy of tying Paul Coffey for the sixth most in NHL history. So Jumbo Joe needs 31 more helpers, and uh, he's going to join a pretty uh, elite uh, defenseman in Paul Coffey. I'll take the under on Thornton assists uh, this year. <laughs> he might need two-year uh, deal to get to 31. You're right, yes. <laughs> Scott, what do you got for us today? Well, <laughs> my favorite part was when they announced his contract and say, and, and of course, no bonuses offered. No bonuses. Like, bare <laughs> bottom, that's what we paid. Like, how often do they say that? No bonuses. Anyway, I'm going to go with two and a half. Well, usually by this time of year, if we're following the Mariners at all, we're starting to check out unless the Jays are in town. And they're in town this weekend. But my number, two and a half, this is probably the most meaningful game set that they've had with the Mariners in years because the Mariners sit just two and a half games back for the Jays for that second wild card spot. So if there's things that remind me of COVID wanting to get over, you know, I'm going to go to like a Seahawks binge of games once that's over. But the second one is I really am kind of, torn to watch this weekend and not be there but i didn't want to be there enough to fly there and then sit in a hotel for a while but but two and a half games back so it's going to be a really interesting fall for both the i have started the border in baseball no i'm i'm totally geeked up for this three game set here as well just because uh you know seldom do we get both teams kind of in the chase uh not only do we get uh psyched up for just because Seldom do the Blue Jays come over here, but both teams in the hunt for the wild card. It's a a series with stakes, uh, not often with the Jays and Mariners. My stat is uh, 5.2 million. That's how many people tuned into that game last night. 5.2 million. Unbelievable number. I told you yesterday, this is a great, great initiative and a great call by the MLB. I'm sure it came with a lot of cost to do it. But $5.2 million. on a Thursday night, they beat out Brooklyn 9-9. They beat out Big Brother. Like, the series premieres or the, the season premieres of those. What a night for the MLB. And uh, a massive number, 5.2 million people checking that one out. Uh, and, uh, Scott, well, before while we still got here, before they go, what's our uh, real estate number this week? Well, we just put out our report today. I think I told you about 95% of the sales we report on don't show up on the MLS, so the public can go for free and pull this report down. We get so many people um, reading it now that we just created its own website, the fifthdimension.ca. What it's going to show you this year so far is absolutely stunning. 13,155 new condominiums and townhomes sold in Metro Vancouver. That is more a half year into the year than the year total for probably seven of the last 12 years. It's 2019 that they never got anywhere near that year total through 2020, even with COVID. Uh, if we stop the year right now, it still has sold more years than the hot 2020. So the condominium and townhome market is, is it hasn't cooled off. I know the resale market's cooled, taking a little bit of a cooler for, and it's certainly not dipping down, but it's more moderate. But today, you know, that condominium market is hot, and it's a little bit smoky just from how fast things are moving. But uh, it's quite exciting. The report gives you neighborhood by neighborhood dinner. It's kind of like USA Today, real easy to read, and cuts right to the point. But it's there for free. Go have a look if you're thinking about buying a home right now, and you want to know what's happening in the condominium and townhome market. 
Uh, he is Scott Brown, a Fifth Avenue real estate president and CEO. Uh, Scott, uh, thank you very much for your time. You want to check it out? Uh, FifthAvenue.ca. One thing you didn't ask me, I thought you were going to ask me today, was my fourth thing, was that I was, you, you usually ask me if I'm golfing. And I was going to say, well, well no, I'm working. I'm working my way to Hazelmere, and I'm right in the parking lot. Right now. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Right, I, I figured guys. you wouldn't be because of the uh, the smoke, but yeah, that makes no, sense. No, no, I don't care. It's good for the back, the hot weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy, man. See you. Take care. Have a good one, both. That's Scott Brown of Fifth Avenue Real Estate, Fifth Avenue uh, Real Estate dot ca. That is uh, great. Are we that predictable? Uh, I mean, the the golfing jokes, you know, the Friday. Well, here's the thing. You know. Here's the thing. The, the first two times we talked to Scott, he was literally like on the tee box, and you could hear the whooshing in the background. And you're like, okay, he's clearly hitting a, a bucket of balls, or he's clearly uh, on the on the course right now. And so I started asking him, it's like, hey, where are you playing today, and what are you doing now? And uh, I, I thought I thought he'd take the weekend off because of the smoke, but yeah. I get it. Yeah. Did you have you ever uh, maybe this boss or other bosses been at the golf course and trying to you know make it like you're working or you're, you're trying to do that conference call and you hear the and what's that nothing for you just totally yeah. get blown your cover uh, that that's been a few times in my career I I would say uh, <laughs> trying to hide on the golf course is not an easy thing to do because it's so distinctive that sound yeah it's like the crack of the bat. And she's like, yeah, you, you, you know exactly what that sound is. Uh, 5.2 million, C-Mac. That's, that's an unbelievable uh, a number. Uh, that, in, in, in the summer. The, the highest rated game since 2005 for the MLB. Yeah, that that is a crazy, crazy amount of people who watched it. But the, the theater, the spectacle was outstanding. 5.2 million, almost as much as Don Taylor makes. And we're getting a few of those in the Dunbar Inver text line. Oh, since yeah. we played the CC Rider there, you know. Don Taylor also gets free Chinese food from hotels in Vegas. That's from Adam, the former bath guy. That was a legendary uh, trip for that uh, other radio station that was around at one point. And uh, just don't ask Donnie for investment advice. Is hyperbaric chamber fiasco as evidence? That's Minor Matt in Abbotsford. Yeah, Donnie was in on the hyperbaric chamber. You, you remember the Canucks... Uh, and maybe you don't pick, but like the Alex McKechnie, who now you know works with the Raptors, that they brought this hyperbaric chamber in and and used it to their advantage. At least that's what everyone thought. You'd sit in it, and it would help you know you recover faster, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, Donnie thought that'd be a great investment, and I don't think it really panned out for him. I would love uh, a hyperbaric chamber. How do I get that worked into my uh, <laughs> contracts? You know? I'm not, I'm not sure. You could put it out on the deck when you're not out there broadcasting. You have the hyperbaric chamber out there. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, Bick Nassar and Craig McEwen here. Uh, okay, so we we mentioned a couple of things there with the with the Olympics. A lot of concerns starting to emerge now. Uh, report from Larry Brooks yesterday afternoon. Uh, just saying the, the NHLPA has alerted players that the NHL will not pay for COVID insurance at the Olympics or Olympic qualifiers. Uh, league position is that players will not be paid for games they miss because COVID if contracted at the Olympic events. Goes on to say uh, the PA has presented the IIHF with cost to of insurance, but has been told uh, international federations will not pay. So at this point, the NHLPA strongly advises players not to participate in Olympic qualifying events. Talks are ongoing. Uh, my uh, concern for NHL players going to the Olympics was already kind of 50-50 C-Mac. Uh, it's rising quickly to 70-40 uh, or 
Yeah, it doesn't seem positive, does it? And we've heard before how much the players like the Olympics. They want to be a part of it. You know, remember Sochi and Ovechkin and all those guys lobbying for it. And it's usually the owners who don't want to have their season interrupted and, and, and people maybe getting injured because it hurts the playoff push or the playoffs down the road. But in this case, yeah, it's the PA getting this news and the PA saying, Hey, maybe this isn't the best of, of scenarios. But, you know, we talked earlier about some posturing in the media in Seattle Seahawks land with, you know, agents and maybe the club on some of the contract negotiations. I don't know, Bick, if this is posturing, it sounds pretty serious to me, especially too, when you consider, as you said, going into this, your reservations on them going with the simple fact of the restrictions that are going to be placed on the athletes in China are going to be really, really strict more so probably than even in Japan. Here's the thing. It's one thing to posture like ahead of Pyeongchang and you're looking for, you know, certain, you know, broadcasting rights or repurposing rights and all this sort of stuff and you want to posture then and and the NHL, you know, hard line and, and they didn't send anyone, obviously. It, it is another thing when you're dealing with the specter of player safety and COVID and all this sort of stuff. So like I, I you know from the NHL and the PA's point of view, as much as you wanna put your best foot forward for the sake of the players because you kind of made them this promise, you do have to go about it in the right way and to, to protect your own product. And, you know, I, I looked at 2018 and it was, hey, how do we maximize our exposure by giving the Olympics our pro athletes? And if they couldn't do that, okay, then we'll carry on doing what we do. This is a different element than, you know, prostering before. Yeah, and and if listen, I sometimes don't remember things, especially on a Friday. But if memory serves, we've had a discussion about insurance and who was paying and all this before yeah. when it comes to the hockey. So that all seemed to have got worked out. This might again just be the first salvo in in a negotiation or a pressure point of saying, "Hey, if you want the best of the best and the Winter Games, I would suggest to you." Uh, at least from North America's standpoint, that the, the hockey's the crown jewel. You know, you might argue it, some of the Nordic events are bigger in the Scandinavian com- countries. But bottom line, maybe this is a bit of a, a, a push to say, hey, someone's got to cough up here because there is that, you know, risk of going there with COVID. But we have seen the insurance issue pop up before and we have seen solutions. But I kind of agree with you. This seems a little different in this scenario. Well, the, the crown jewel thing is, is interesting, too, because the Winter Olympics, you know, obviously very different from the Summer Olympics. The Summer Olympics have such a robust amount of uh, competitions, right? As much as we think about the NBA or the, the basketball gold medal, I, I don't look at that as the marquee event. I think of the 100 meters as a marquee event. Soccer, especially the women's soccer, is getting Skateboarding, so buddy. Don't forget about the skateboarding. No, but you're just like you're right. Like there's so many other events in the Summer Olympics that can draw your attention. You know, the pool itself, like the the, the swimming, right? Yeah. People are captivated by you know Michael Phelps, Penny Alexiak, whoever it is. It draws a lot of eyes. The the Winter Olympics, for a lot of people, like hockey's the one. Like not a lot of people are interested in biathlon. Right, the the figure skating is a big draw, but like hockey's the main showpiece. 
Yeah, and and you know, for someone who covered the Nordic events in Whistler, yeah, ski jumping is great when you see it the first time. But all you're looking for there is wipeouts after that because they're they're just going up a little further. And listen, there's a lot of there scale. is a NASCAR element. Yeah, there, yeah there's that. But it, but it almost seems like you're looking for the car wreck, right? As opposed to can you go uh, a few more you know feet further than the next person? And listen, that's not to diminish the skill or the sport. But you're right in the Winter Games. Uh, you know, the, 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 the luge or, you know, some of the skiing stuff, obviously from Canada, we do very well in it. Uh, and that is a, an attraction to watch, but yeah, hockey to me is kind of the, the biggest and the best and and that just might be a, a North American bias. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Also, another uh, news notes from uh, the NHL today. Elliot Friedman uh, reporting out on a tweet. Um, NHL sent a memo updating vaccination requirements to its teams. Any person whose job, role, position, or access entails or entitles them to have personal interactions within 12 feet with club, hockey, operations personnel, including players, are required to be fully vaccinated. Uh, there are some limited exceptions, such as uh, valet parking attendants, NHL, NHL play, PA protocols for players are not yet completed this is kind of uh trending to the way of the world we saw the winnipeg jets kind of make their announcement uh other franchises are starting to trend this way we saw the reports from earlier this week of the vancouver canucks considering a fans in the stands and, and vaccinations and whatnot proof of vaccinations uh this is obviously going to develop over the next couple of weeks but as we get closer to the start of training camps and the start of the regular season in early october uh, I think there's going to be a prevailing theme uh, start to emerge. Well, and you saw Dr. Bonnie Henry say, I believe, yesterday or the day before about how, you know, it it's, I'll say, more of a privilege than a right to go to a sporting event or a concert. And if the government deems it that you need to be vaccinated to go for that... I understand the outrage on the other side in the sense that you, you you can't just tell me what to do, but these are private ventures, private enterprise. Yeah, I was going to say. You know, they, they, they can kind of put the rules in place. And listen, the safety of the people who work there and the safety of the players on the ice so the season doesn't get disrupted is paramount. And, you know, last year you had staff at the Canucks who were in a bubble that weren't even allowed to kind of get out of that realm that were with the team because they were so scared of people getting sick. So these strict guidelines and things that are put in place by the league it's so there's no disruption and hey as a fan they still want you to cheer for the team but you might have to watch on your tv as opposed to going to a game or 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 witnessing a concert live if you are not vaccinated you said it there it's a private business this is not a public service this is uh for-profit entertainment to some degree uh, under the spirit of sport of course but these are businesses. They're going to look for opportunities to maximize revenue. And if doing so means, hey, we can get a bit more capacity doing it this way, that's what these businesses are going to do. And, and people are going to text in. People are going to be mad about it. I get it. However, this is just the reality. This is what's going to happen uh, as, as these businesses try to uh, maximize their bottom line. Yeah, and they have that right. 
and again, they they want as many fans as possible. But when it comes to how they operate inside the walls of their business, much like our company has rules in place that you know we we wear masks in certain situations. It, 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 again, this is a learning curve. This is just us getting through uh, a, a terrible COVID situation, and, and don't want the fourth wave to be super bad that it impacts us in the way the first three waves have so far. Uh, Bick Nazar and Craig McEwen, we will make way for the week. So next week, uh, you got to wake up bright and early to uh, hear us. Uh, Michael and Jason are uh, taking the week away. So you and I, bright and early. Hey, hey Greg, uh, cue the music there. They get this music going again. because when... There we go. This will be our morning show music, Bick. We'll, <laughs> we'll come out of the, the gate. We'll have our Elvis suits on, you know, big sunglasses. Wait, 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 wait. Cut the music here, Greg. You you told me you guys played this song anytime Don Taylor's getting hooked up or something like that. Yes. You're yes. telling me I got to do this this morning show and you're going to play this music. What am I getting out of it? Uh, well, the big intro. That that's big band music. Oh, that my that goodness. is like here comes Bick Nazar. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. No, no. Bick no. is I'll, in the I'll, building. I'll, I'll find my own intro music. Thank you very much. My, you know, my own walk-up music. Thank you very much. <laughs> Don't need to go back to the fifties with Elvis, or or we could play that in, as you're trying to promo the people show because they're big stars too. They they like to get hooked up at places. I you know sad I think can just go anywhere at a drop of a hat. He doesn't pay for a meal. He doesn't pay for a drink. He doesn't pay for anything. That guy he 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 is the uh, the new king of Kensington. Uh, sad just shows up and flexes the arm. They're like, oh yes, Mister Shaw, this way. And Riccio, it's like, have you heard of Spro? And they just say, excuse me, sir. Can you step aside for paying customers? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, full show today. Stacy Ross coming up at 710. Uh, ESPN Seattle at 330. Harmon Dial at 4. Uh, Caitlin McGrath previewing the Blue Jays at 510. Plus, it's Friday. The Friday quiz coming up at 6 o'clock. All on the way. The People Show. Home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650.